0: What you're about to hear is a talkback for Episode 1 of Streams and Variations. This will contain a discussion of all six pieces from Episode 1 and the way those pieces evolved. If you haven't heard Episode 1 yet, please check it out before listening to this episode. You can find it on our website or on your podcast subscriber. Let's get to it.
1: Welcome to Streams and Variations Talkback. My name is Jamie Johnson. I'll be your host. And I'm joined today by Streams and Variations co-producer Sean Urker and singer-songwriter David Newberry, who's just released his new album, As Far as Away As You Can Go Without Coming Back. Hi, guys. Hello. So this is Sean. And uh,
2: this voice is David.
1: Let's uh, give you a tiny little bit of history here. Um, Streams and Variations uh, began in December of 2019 as a live show called Broken Telephone. That was at uh, David's in, uh, in Basements on Sunday show.
2: Yeah, at the Winona Lodge. How long has
0: that uh, In Basements on Sundays program been running, David?
2: It was. We were up over two hundred uh, weeks in a row when um, uh, uh, when everything shut down. So it's been years. Um, uh, and uh, they yeah, they kind of gave us. It started out as a music show, but. Um, they gave us kind of free reign of a, a beautiful, uh, cozy space um, and kind of like the Dufferin and Bloor area. And uh, they, they let us do whatever we want. So eventually um, we started doing more things kind of at least um, peripherally related to theater. Uh, Jamie did a, a one-man show down there. We did some, some dance and, and um, music and comedy collaborations, things of that sort.
0: You know, uh, it's such a great venue, but unfortunately, it's such like an anti-COVID venue because <laughs> it is oh, yeah. so densely packed when you have a show with a bunch of people there. It's, it's like the Cavern Club with the Beatles or something. It, just, it feels like it's, like it's like a closet oh, yeah. and it's just everyone is sitting on everyone else's laps. And so that was the first place to go, I think, once COVID hit. <laughs>
2: I think it'll be the last place to come back. Yeah, for sure. Um, the The basement down there will be. It'll. We'll have. We'll need full herd immunity by the, before before that uh, space opens back up again. But hopefully, they'll they'll make it through and um, uh, we'll uh, we'll get back down there. You know, win the world the last.
0: So Jamie, what was the uh, original idea for this? Where did it come from? This this, this show. <laughs> um, the original show came
1: from. We were pitching shows to another venue actually here in Toronto. And um, uh, something that we, I said with a, a friend of mine uh, prompted this show to get into my head, which was a collaboration between musicians and writers, which is what I was after right from the very beginning. Um, they, they, we had originally pitched the show to the other place as uh, you know, uh, half musicians, half writers. Uh, writers go up and do things, then musicians go up and do things. And then I said, well, wait a second. Why are we doing it this way? These guys are all writers, and let's think about... The way that writers react to what other writers are doing. So, I actually, uh, as most stories go, I met David in a bar, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) I pitched this idea to David as uh, a a a writer writes something, then a uh, a songwriter. Uh, picks up on that and then writes something and then another writer picks up on that song and writes something and that's how I I posed the uh, idea to David and he said oh like a game of broken telephone which is where the original name came from and uh, uh, I went to him and we decided on a date to do the first live show and that turned out to be in February of this year and uh, through him we contacted a few um, songwriters And I contacted a few playwrights like yourself and Chantel, and uh, this is the show that resulted from it.
2: Yeah, and so uh, uh, Jamie wrote the first um, monologue, and uh, I wrote the last song, and other than that we uh, we weren't really in communication too much. Um, He sent a monologue that I'd never seen off to a musician that I told him to, and then he would tell that musician an email address of where to send it when it was done. Uh, and, and likewise on and on so I don't, I don't even think I even knew who the, the, the playwrights beyond Jamie I don't even think I knew who the playwrights were until we all gathered in the basement to, No, and,
1: and now I didn't know the, writer, uh, the songwriters except for one uh, yeah. so it was like hey, this is all a, a very, very wonderful experiment on to see what can happen when you send things from people to people to get inspiration I was coming back to the barn and I had a hoe in my hand I guess that's what he sent me for But I can't remember why. Why would he need a hoe when we were milking? That makes no sense. Why did I need and have a hoe in my hand? There has to be a reason for it. What was the... Never mind. It doesn't matter.
0: So, Jamie, what was the origin of this piece? Where did this come from?
1: Well, at the time we were starting to put this together, I was actually very much uh, wrestling with the questions of what home was and uh, what home means to people. Um, like for most people, home is a place of warmth and caring and, and some place that you want to go back to. And what kept coming into my mind was I I come from a fairly rural community and a lot of the people wanted nothing more than to get the hell out of there. And I was going, well, what the hell is that all about? Well, then I started thinking about all my friends, the farmers, and the guys that I grew up with, and I was like, yeah, well, they had a lot of things to run away from. And that just became the very beginning, and, and the obvious <clears throat> beginning of that piece was my a friend of mine actually told me the story about having to kill a groundhog with a hoe when he was 12 years old. And that wow. just grew from there into what the monologue became. I mean, he's not that character, but, I mean, that character came out of that story.
0: So one one of the things about it that I found so interesting was the kind of uh, fallacy of memory elements of it. You know, you have an almost unreliable narrator. Absolutely, A narrator seems to be misremembering his own story, and uh, and then I think at times that almost you know uh, lends itself into just different what actually happened kind of interpretations. But what was the purpose of of giving it that kind of? Uh, um, vagueness this narrative vagueness
1: well the narrative vagueness actually comes uh, uh, out a lot in my writing a lot um because i think that everybody <laughs> deludes themselves so the critics all the t- say well, the and- t- everybody <laughs> seems to say that quite often people don't actually say the things that they mean they they will tell you stories uh about events that happen that have no basis in reality I know I do it myself and I've said it many times before. I will tell you a story and then afterwards I look at myself and go, did that really happen? Or am I creating a story just to make a point for these people? And I think that particular unreliable narrator is exactly who that, that is.
2: I think too the, like, the, there's the vagueness mixed with like uh, almost like an obsession from the character to um, get those details right. You know, the uh, like when, when he won't let go of, uh, of why is it that he had a hoe and like that. So he's, oh, he's almost like fact-checking himself while telling a, a, an unreliable story.
1: Yeah, because he's trying to define who he is. Okay. And that's what he can't do. And if a character can't do that, then his narration is going to be unreliable right from the very beginning. You have to question everything he says in that piece.
2: Right. You
0: know, it's part of the things that I encounter just as a person uh recounting stories in my life for people you do have to mold them like you have to mold them
2: to make them an interesting story much longer ago when i was more on the sort of folk singer circuit uh a big part of those kind of shows is always storytelling and banter and sort of like pre-prepared stories that that come across as uh as spontaneous and um people would always ask me like "Are th- is that true and uh I, the, my, my response was always like well i'm not lying uh that the like the 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 like the i i don't know if all the facts are correct but certainly the 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 story is not a lie no uh, but
1: again yeah. that's personal uh there's always been that saying that we are the products of our own memory well if we recreate our memory over and over and over yeah. again who are we
2: yeah, that's uh, that, true. Absolutely. One of the other things
0: that jumped out at me just now listening to it um, was I really found the dichotomy between the part of the story where he's killing a gopher and the, the stress you put on the fact that the tears are filling his eyes, that he can't stop crying. And then when he's sitting in principal's office or whatever, he's at school... And and then you say explicitly everyone expected me to start crying, but of course I'm not going to cry. My father wouldn't <laughs> want me to cry. It's such a it's such a bizarre narrative point, and I mean like it's interesting. It feels true, and it feels like there's a lot to take out of that. But it's it is it does. It's 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 slightly unexpected because like he was weeping in front of his father about the gopher, but then he says, Oh, I would never weep for my father it's because my father wouldn't want me to. Uh, again <clears throat>
1: that's that's a product of who he's trying to define. I didn't cry because my dad wouldn't want me yeah. to and yet I was crying and yet so so who
2: am I? The one thing that struck me is like how different the death of the gopher and the death of his father are and how, how similar they are. Mm-hmm. Um, both in, in terms of uh, the, the, the deaths themselves like one is very violent um, and one is, is uh, non-violent like one, one is full of hate and, and one is just kind of like a regretful thing that that took place um, and uh, you know one inspires him to cry and one he says he would never cry but they're both um, the kind of parallel between them is the, the role of like guilt and reconciling the guilt about what was done um, that is the same for, mm-hmm. for both of them,
0: and it's interesting because the whole thing to me feels like it's it's this sublimation of the feelings for the father into the experience with the gopher. So it's it's sublimating his experience seeing his father die with his experience seeing this gopher die. Yeah, because it's
1: ways. it's more traumatic to kill something than to watch something die. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know, David. What have you been doing lately? <laughs> from personal experience, you know, I would
0: uh, question that supposition. Um, I, well, the only other question I have, because we probably should move on, the only other question I have is: Is there any element of it that you thought would carry forward, like when you wrote it? Was there like, oh, this is what the right the musician? Well, no,
1: I, I didn't know specifically, but what I had wanted from this monologue, not just the idea of home, was that I. I wanted this whole thing, and I and I I mean this sincerely, I wanted this whole stream of writing to be Canadian. Yeah. It's a very Canadian piece of writing. If you look at a, a lot of the writing yeah. uh, from the 60s and 70s, is all based around landscape and who we are in, in relationship to the place that we are. So I thought that that would be the thing
2: that would carry through. Interesting. Should we give the song a listen? Far is a story about death Animals being born are on the way to die blood runs into the mud Born on shaking legs they must take to walk in He died. What carry through for you?
1: like me myself I'm very glad that he took it uh, switched the idea around and talked from uh, uh, the dad's perspective. I was very interested uh, of, of how he, to me, distorted or changed the dad to be somebody that actually is fighting for something rather than being a jackass.
0: So what do you mean by that?
1: Well, uh, in, in that piece, he's talking about that the dad is actually fighting for uh, I- injustice against something that he finds is wrong rather than uh, fighting
0: Right, yeah, yeah. The line, his face registered a last injustice. You know, I gotta say, when I heard it, I thought that line was just, the dad thought it was an injustice that he was dying. <laughs> it was just, that he was just like, this isn't fair. Well, I, th- I think he- Now that I'm dying.
2: I think it is, but um, but I think the, the like, invoking the, the notion that mm-hmm. it's one last injustice uh, implies that it is the last of a long yeah. line of injustices. Um, but that's yeah. It's really I hadn't really thought about it as kind of as because it's not written like the the father doesn't become the narrator, but it does it does kind of it is a bit more empathetic to the father's character um, and includes I guess the father's perspective on, mm-hmm. on how those things are doing. Um,
1: yeah, I mean that's the way that I saw it. No, it's the way I, I felt about it. Yeah, it's
2: a really good observation. I, it's it, it's such an interesting piece to me. I mean, I'm like a, I'm a I'm a very big fan of caleb's um and we've known each other a very very long time uh he's very descriptive like he's a he's he's almost like a a painter or a short storyteller um and he just manages to kind of get it into two or three minutes and uh he does it with these like really uh potent um really dense not dense in an academic way but very very packed lines um like spring-loaded lines i guess um and, and a couple of them for me, just like really get a handle on the monologue very quickly, which is just like opening or the second line is, you know, animals being born are on their way to dying. And that's, um, that's the, that's the monologue, um, and, uh, or at least the background, uh, of it. And, um, and he, he died as he lived, pissed off and working and, uh, and then, in that um, he captures that what you were talking about before of the of the of the narrator in the monologue um, trying to define himself uh, and trying to define himself in in relationship to these events that took place. And um, Caleb says, I couldn't name what he refused to give me. Uh, and I like so t- t- to me uh, you know, he is taking a little bit of a kinder, more sympathetic view of the the dad character, but He also, to me, really got what you were writing.
1: No, I agree totally. And I think he actually, despite not actually talking about the landscape, he got the landscape in everything else. Yeah. You can feel the underlying tone of the landscape and where these people are and what they were doing just from the way that he talked about the story.
0: Like he's literally making metaphor out of the setting. Like the first line is farm is a story about dying a farm it's literally just the quintessential metaphor right there and so he's he is he's imbibing the setting with the meaning of the story which i think is really interesting because that influences where things go next and kind of uh the other thing that jumped out to me i guess he takes this story that jamie had that is very kind of localized in time um where it's a memory of, her, of this event that happened to the narrator, but you don't really get a sense of who this character is because the character, as Jamie said, doesn't really know who he is. He's so kind of figuring that out, the meaning of it. Whereas Caleb's narr- Caleb's uh, song has this element of you get that the narrator is trying to move past this, that, the, that this is the, the narrator saying, you know, finding new meaning, a more hopeful move forward from this that when he says love is either being born or on its way to dying it's taking the negative elements of that story and turning it into something positive that you can kind of anchor a positive way forward around um which i think is really interesting
2: i think that's um too like the and i I won't talk about it too much because i imagine it will come up in in every episode in one way or another is the differences in the craft right like the um the role of a monologue or the role of, of a short story versus the role of a song. Um, mm-hmm. and what, uh, what, what monologue writers or short story writers are kind of socialized to do as the outcome and what songwriters are kind of socialized to do as the outcome. And, and I mean the, in, in a, in a three minute song, you don't have time for character development. Um, you have none, right. So the, so the only, the, you have to, um, Uh, if you want to be great at it, you have to allow space for people to kind of, um, you kind of build the walls and then people write the story uh, within it um, in order to get a more complete understanding of what it is that you're trying to say. And one of the ways that you can do that is by adding an element of kind of universality um, so that people can just kind of jump their own story right into the middle of it. And and that's what um, Caleb has done really well here. Alright,
0: so that was Caleb Stell's uh, He died as he lived, and that will take us into my piece uh, called Prairie Fire. I
2: remember it took a very long time after he started the fire for me to realize that we weren't going to leave.
1: That he wasn't going to let me leave. I remember him holding me down as the heat grew and all I could see were the pictures on the wall curling as they burned inside their flame. We were talking earlier about the unreliability of narrators. Um, In this case, I think we have an absolutely ultra-reliable narrator who seems to know exactly what's going on from every perspective whatsoever. Why why did you take that attack with this piece of writing?
0: Well, you know, I think that flew out of the kind of mental path that I was put on uh, by some of the stuff that I took out of Caleb's One of the big things was, as I said previously, he just starts off with the line, a farm is a story about death. And so he is kind of making the land itself a character. And then throughout that, he characterizes, he, you know, he paints a picture of, you know, a kind of blood in the mud and death in the mud. And where my mind went, for whatever reason that is, when you start to think about uh, land as a character representing Emotion representing these human characteristics and starting to think about this blood in the land, I, I just started thinking about the story of Cain and Abel. That is just, I just, my brain just started to become very biblical about it. And um, we saw. <laughs> and he, uh, in Caleb's song, he also kind, of, he makes it very generational because he talks about how like the anger of the father was something that he was trying to shed, you know, like that he was trying to move past this anger, this anger he didn't want anymore and so the, this kind of generational aspect of that pain also just kind of made me think about also led me to this Cain and Abel kind of element to it and so to answer your question where you say why is it very kind of ultra true I think this isn't to say that the, the biblical is true but the way that the biblical stories are, are presented is they're presented as a narrative that happened um, and so that's kind of, I guess, where that came from.
2: <laughs> I'm I just impressed with the like, with the sheer distance traveled in in, in the narration, um, uh, and you know the the way that I um, am impressed that uh, Caleb fit uh, so many elements of Jamie's story into a three minute song. I feel like you've kind of fit a novel into a monologue, um, uh, carrying through all the family history without ever feeling rushed. Um, the father character. Um, being terrible at farming, um, but reacting to that by like switching planting plans and blaming seeds and salesmen, and eventually coming to a conspiracy theory and just like refusing to use data to improve performance, and then not being able to con- even conceive of the notion that he might just be losing because uh, because he's not good at it. And then blaming the people around him instead of taking responsibility and yelling kind of nonsense lines like a farm is not a boat. I mean, you're you're sort of describing the moment that was just just current
0: events seeping their way into the (laughs) writing. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: But those details. There's also a very interesting disconnect in terms of the way that you wrote it. Is that. Um, all of the details around the farm revolve around earth and fire, and the other details around the city were uh, sea metaphors. You were talking about the naval and everything else. It was like there's this outsider's perspective uh, on yeah. part of, on the part of your narrator that she is completely divorced from everything else in the world,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that's absolutely wonderful in this terms because you get this concrete observation of this world that she lives in in much more in a much more um, founded way mm-hmm. than anything else.
0: And I, again, I, I kind of, like, I know that a lot of that, I think, came out of uh, what was in Caleb's piece, just kind of talking about moving past kind of this this father passing on anger. The father died in anger. I don't want to have this anger. I want to move on from this anger. This kind of, like, generational effects of these things uh, into a story where you you know, I spread it out a bit more to talk about how these things are passed on from generation to generation, how it gets to this point. And then, you know, I guess it's open to interpretation, but from my perspective, you also have this narrator at the end, who's somewhat of a sociopath, whose reaction to her father dying is, is really not what one would expect. Um, and, and the thing that's interesting is that that, sort of echoes jamie's piece even though that wasn't captured in in caleb's song it kind of like you know it skipped a generation there and somehow even though caleb didn't put that in his song it it, it showed up in both pieces
2: yeah that happens a few times when i was listening yesterday that uh, that i hadn't realized on the night of the show
1: yeah uh, there, there's a lot that happens that goes from piece to piece to piece to piece that is not necessarily from one to the next
2: Which is impossible, right? Like the, (laughs) but the, so that's that's sort of the magic of art, I suppose.
1: Absolutely, and again, this is what this experiment was all about to begin with. Is if there's enough internal, emotional, and imagistic layers to something, there's many things that can get passed through that you don't have to take on a conscious level. Mm. I think many times, just by the way that we relate to each other. You, you, you can feel, even though this was divorced email and stuff like that. But the inner feelings of the character can become expressed through nonverbal means, even through a song, and and we'll see that very much in the next piece. I think. As she
0: walked out the door, his
2: eyes were
0: so that was also called prairie fire uh and that was by uh rachel cardiello
1: yeah actually um uh, on this one i um i want to come at it from a different perspective so i want to ask david a question right off the top um i think that the music in this which i think is absolutely tremendous evokes so much of what we've been talking about in terms of the landscape and carrying on uh the relation of the landscape to the narrative all the way through that, that that underlying tones the 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 sounds of the fire the the crackling the all of those they build so much of the character into the music uh your 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 thoughts on that my friend
2: yeah i mean and i think that like it, it, we really got lucky with the sequencing here and this one landed on 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 Rachel who grew up in Montana uh and who is like um uh i mean she's lived in a lot of places but landscape plays a really big role in her songwriting in general um she she, uh both is very good at describing it literally and that and at evoking it. Like she she kind of is of places, um more than in places, uh when she's when, when she's hanging out in them. And and uh, I think that gives her the sort of magical powers to translate um some of the setting into uh into some of the sonics.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was absolutely tremendous listening to the cadence of the words and how she uh gives that three to four part humming and and yeah. sandwiches them all together. It becomes almost ethereal.
2: There's something about the cadence Though that is also so alarming in the sense of like, um, you know, she delivers lines like uh, "they, the sinful, would burn hotter than a prairie fire" in a way that is just like so absolutely sonically soothing, right? Like there's there's which 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 makes it so sinister, right? Like that the that 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 she can be so comforting in her delivery uh, of something that is it, it like I you can't think of something more uncomfortable than being trapped in a burning house. Um, and I mean, like, it's a it's a special and terrifying talent
0: Th- that I find such a good point, because I mean, one of the things that I think jumps out uh, in terms of the lyrics, you know, in, in terms of what she took from the previous piece, is that uh, she just absolutely latches on to Sword of Jophiel, the flaming Sword of Jophiel. And I think in hindsight, you just look at this and you go, well, of course, someone's going to take that. It's yeah. such, a, <laughs> such a cool name. Um, and I mean, that's just because I'm kind of a, a, a pseudo nerd about kind of apocryphal, non-canonical Bible stories. Uh, not necessarily an expert in any way, but I always find it so fascinating that there are like, you know, uh, uh, fan fiction versions of the Bible from 400 A.D. <laughs> <laughs> like are just creating new characters that you know the church has to say that that's not real. So this Jophiel thing is is this is is an element of this like uh, non-canonical Bible as this this angel of of the of Eden uh, with a flaming sword that dispenses judgment and. Uh, I think obviously when you hear that, that's something that's very easy to latch onto. But I, what's so interesting about what you pointed out, Jamie, is and, and David is is how that also I think translates into the music because when you talk about how you're you're talking about a terrible story told in a very you know soothing, calming way, that's just church, you know. That is just. <laughs> that is just talking about death and pain and suffering of everyone in four-part harmony with a plagal <laughs> at the end and that is uh what she does here and i think that's so fascinating i think that's so cool i hadn't thought of it
2: that way but yeah she does um there there was some churching in her uh, in her background for sure um but <laughs> i love it <laughs> No, I just I just thought the
1: whole thing was uh, was was quite amazing, especially the build because you started out with uh, what what seemed to me as almost be like two part harmony, and then just kept building with the three, then the four. Then it was just like at the end, it, you you might as well have just said there was the heavenly choir singing before you, and then that devolved into the fire. I just thought it was just uh, sonically, you could take and remove completely the lyrics and you would probably have that same feeling as the mon- previous monologue that drives that thing through the entire thing to the big resounding end. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think it's such just, a good example of how, uh, alternating between the music and the story allows so many narrative elements to be carried through somewhat subconsciously, whether you want to say subconsciously or just through different kinds of uh, mental aspects uh because she's yeah she's she's carrying through elements of what we've been talking about but just through you know harmonic construction which is going to influence the next person in a way that is not necessarily that they're not necessarily entirely aware of when i was a kid i ate cheerios every morning there were other cereals rice krispies shredded wheat sometimes
2: even fruit loops
0: was, like, comforting, I guess. <laughs> You're wondering why I'm talking about cereal, probably. It's
1: weird, but it was the thing that made life feel normal. Even when nothing else was.
0: It doesn't matter what happened in the night, or if Mom talked that day, or if he decided to show his face that morning. Could- uh, That was actually untitled when uh, Chantel originally performed Uh, provided it. Um, I followed up with her to say, did you want a title on this? And she's titling it uh, Swords and Flames.
1: So so there seems to be some new elements being pulled
0: into every story since you wrote the words in there, Sean. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's one of the things that we've learned is that once you introduce a character by the name of Jophiel who has a flaming sword... That character does not leave. That is just something that stays. So educational moment for all of us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, the, uh, I just, it's, it's, it's almost hard to talk about this. Everything, everything about it is so, um, powerfully written and Brianna's performance obviously is, is, uh, is just incredible. She's so talented. Um, I think the, like ignoring the horror of it all uh, or setting it aside for a moment I just love the Cheerios sort of so much um, in their innocuous introduction um, and uh, you know sort of like yeah all, all that information seems superfluous at the time but uh, but then it turns out to be um, you know a turning point of, of the story that that kind of in, reintroduces that um, detached character trait, uh, again, um, that was experienced by the son when his father died, uh, and, um, and in Sean's monologue where, uh, you know, a child that should be frightened, um, or angry, uh, or confused is just sort of like, I'm hungry. Uh, and, uh, so there, there it is again, you know, like leapfrogging over the songs back into the, back into the Yeah, it is
0: interesting that you have this element of, uh, It's not the same kind of unreliable narrator that Jamie had, but you have this element of um, the randomness of memory about the questioning why do you remember some things and not others? And Jamie definitely put that right in the beginning, and you see it carrying through even through to the end. You know, it it sometimes might have been uh, heavier and lighter in the pieces, but. You know, even through here, you have this elements of someone thinking back and saying, like, now, why do I remember Cheerios? Why do I remember Carrying a Hoe? I don't know why, but it's here.
2: Yeah. And the, the like my favorite kind of storytelling, which is more prominent in songwriting, I think sort of because of the limitations of, of, of the timing that we were talking about earlier, is um, telling the story, not by telling the story, but by describing what is taking place around the story, uh, and so like it's what made Gore Downey uh, a fantastic lyricist. Um, he's so often not not actually telling the story, but but describing the setting, um, or describing the actions and activities around the main character enough that you kind of get a sense of it. And and just for kind of a moment, um, Chantal's monologue sort of drops into that. Where um, the, the, the story is in no way about Cheerios, um, but, the, but the Cheerios were there at a very important moment. And rather than describe that very important moment, she describes um, the child's relationship to the Cheerios.
0: The other thing that jumped out to me, now that we're getting closer to the end and we can kind of see what's carried through all the pieces, is that uh, it kind of, you know, is a good example of how important emotion is storytelling um even outside of narrative even outside of plot and setting because in every single one of these pieces the characters talk about the emotion of anger that is anchored in every single one of these pieces and in Jamie's piece there's a line where uh, the character says um, uh, sorry let me just get the exact language the only emotion he could commit to was anger that's in the first monologue and it reoccurs in other monologues but then in this monologue we have when he was done uh what he was doing he was so angry and there's like it's explicit the it's just that's what a a reader takes out of a piece and then that is what the writer carries on to the next piece and it's so important more than anything else is just what emotion rises up and i thought that was so interesting
1: now I think uh, what's very interesting to me is that when when I set up this idea, I was actually expecting some people to fight against what was being put forward and take a different tack and and go the opposite way. I, I was just actually quite surprised that everything has stayed within the same kind of emotional range
0: mm-hmm. for this episode. But <laughs> in
1: in this case, I'm I was. Pleased and surprised that that's what stayed constant throughout the entire thing, the emotionality, the the idea of landscape, the idea of personal space, and and who we are as human beings is just so concrete in all of these pieces. It's it it's
0: just amazing. The other thing that uh, I thought was so interesting about this piece, when you place it in context with the others, is that you you, it does have almost like a three act narrative to it, like because you have this reoccurring theme of abuse what yeah and the type of abuse changes and and, and how it uh, you know affects people changes um, but it is interesting to have this kind of like I spit on your grave element where right. in the third act you get revenge when the person comes in and like enacts their revenge against these people so you know I, I found that quite interesting
1: it's a it's a great story Wow. <laughs> we've got a really good story going on so let's finish off this story with uh, our friend Mr. David Newberry's piece
2: ask me what ask me when ask me where she said ask me how I don't care just don't ask me why she said are you a lawyer you a cop a reporter. Hey,
1: Simply, first off, first think. thing I I, I did want to ask you specifically why you chose those images around the idea of the Cheerios.
2: Um, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons, and I, and I think uh, a lot of it. Ha- or here's an interesting thing again about about the, the the different ways that the the monologue writers and the songwriters. Um, get to approach things is that in the case of the monologue writers um you guys are writing a monologue and then uh you know quote unquote like employing somebody else to kind of read those words and the songwriters need to deliver it i mean i guess we don't need to but the songwriters all chose to deliver it in our own voices and so for this episode yeah for this episode yeah 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 and i don't i mean hopefully that's something that you guys explore either making monologue writers read their own pieces or 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 having songwriters bring in other because i think it'll change because there's there's uh, a, a lot of that stuff um from the from the previous monologue uh is um either stuff that i just would have a hard time saying because it is such difficult subject matter. And, and also, um, wanting to, I I wanted to write a piece that matches, um, my voice as a songwriter throughout the rest of, of, of my musical life and my, my musical catalog. And, and, um, so there was, uh, like Cheerios isn't a very musical word. Um, and and neither is cereal and, and and milk like these these are these are these are things that uh that are not in any of your favorite songs because um because they're they're ugly uh music they're ugly words to come out of a of, of a singer's mouth. I mean, Rachel could probably do it, but but uh, but I uh, listen. I, I'll
0: have you know that I still know the theme song to Honey
2: Nut Cheerios. <laughs> yeah, exa-
0: so. But
2: that's the thing is that like that's where my brain went. You know. So the- yeah,
1: I don't. I, I didn't mean to make it sound like you had to choose that. What I mean, what I'm talking about is what what images do you gravitate to? What things do you pull? What ideas are 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 yours? I mean, just looking at the basic construction of the song, your first. Two verses, if you want to talk about it, are questions. Yeah. Which is something that you actually do quite often in your music, is that you ask a lot of questions.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's just my sort of way of letting people in in the same way that 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 I was talking about the way that Caleb sort of, you know, uses uh, description to kind of build uh, a wall within which people can 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 bring themselves into the center of the story. Um, so if I pose questions, then people have to think about the answers to the questions and then that allows them to de- to develop the story in their head a little bit more. Um, but I, I really think that it was like the 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 monologue that Chantal wrote was so disturbing. That I didn't actually know where to situate myself in it, and so uh, after I tried a bunch of different things, and I actually like really went pretty far down the flaming sword of Jophiel route, Uh, and then I literally everybody wants to include the flaming sword of Jophiel. This is the lesson we've learned. I literally was like, you know what? I bet you. That the flaming sword of Jo Feel was like a random one-line it like four monologues ago, and uh it's just gotten carried through because it's so clever, and I'm gonna be the fifth person to talk about the flaming sword of Joe Feel. And uh, uh so I I minimized the sword. Though Dinah, um the mother's name, Dinah is a it was is another name that Jo Feel was referred to as in some of those Bible fan fictions. Um But what I decided on was a neighbor. Uh, likely a kind of churchy neighbor um, visiting the 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 daughter in prison um, and sort of uh, saying like you know I'm coming here as a friend and I, I heard what happened and that's awful and and I promise you that there is a a better um, uh, uh, that there is a better world for you if if you try which in 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 the mind of the neighbor who is visiting is like a you know probably involves the baby jesus but um uh so that's then i that's where i um uh i selected the images out of what made the most sense in the context of um what would have been in the newspaper that the that the the, the voice that i'm that i'm speaking uh from what would have been in the newspaper uh, describing it what would they have known about the relationship between the father and the daughter and the mother um, who had left and uh, and then um, yeah and then built it just kind of as a conversation which is another sort of Gord Downey songwriting mm. trick of just and it's
0: also like an that. element of Chantel's monologue too because the monologue is built right. as a conversation because she's literally saying oh you ask me this or something, and you know, you yeah. And everybody, like she this.
2: begins, I think, by like saying, like, everybody's always asking me these questions yeah. that I don't have any answers. Exactly. To. Yeah. Uh, and so that that um, that kind of gave me a way in without having to, um, you know, become either the father, or either one of the victims in the story, mm-hmm. which is something I just didn't didn't like. I didn't want to do because it was hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do uh, use the recurring image of the sword as a judgment against the character and you know, and, and the narrator. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I wrote down when I was thinking about this was that David, in your song, you have one line, you say, what is justified? And one of your questions is, what is justified? And where Caleb has the line, his face registered one last injustice. And so there was this element of justice that I think carried through so much of it in different ways you know because that was something that I latched onto. his face registered one last injustice and this element of what does justice mean and you know I carried it into this kind of like biblical anger but I also had this element of like thinking about the free man on the land and the law and all this kind of like you know people raging against injustice that they don't understand and you know then that carried through into talking about officers and people and you know the 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 implication of in Chantal's piece of who she's talking to because lawyers and officers keep asking her these questions and then you has you have the question what is justified and I think that was an interesting kind of subcurrent that ran through everything
2: you know in different ways and I mean like for me it it really came out of well it came out of the sort of uh, accompanying research project about the archangel joe feel. and uh geez uh, i missed all the joe feel, man <laughs> um, the, i didn't say it i said dinah um but that uh that that you know that that um joe Field's task is to hand out judgment which means that people are, are, are going to be judged on whether or not what they did was justified and um uh, and that is obviously kind of an unanswerable question for the, 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 the woman within Chantel's, um, monologue, uh, about like mm-hmm. the, uh, they'll, she, that, that, that thing she drops at the end, which is like, I never planned to do this. I've been planning to do this my whole life. Um, is, uh, there's again, like some distance between the evil and the person and, or the death in the person. um, But uh, if you're not sure whether you were planning to do something or not, um, you're going to be permanently unsure of whether or not it was justified.
1: Anything that can carry over from piece to piece is is muted and played in a different way and used for a different purpose. And I, I think that despite the fact that they all are of a piece... They are said in such different voices and in such different ways that it's an amazing
2: like it's uh, i remember on the at the end of the night we we kind of had a chat and um who knows if i'm remembering it all correctly but it's it's uh it was really interesting to me how no artifacts really made it through from your uh Piece all the way into my song like they um the the sword is kind of came in part way so the but the but the mood um and the nature of the relationships uh was was maintained in um with like startling accuracy yeah.
1: startling clarity is what i would call it it's, it's yeah. it was really quite amazing it's really quite amazing uh, I'm going to uh, give you guys one last little little piece here. I'm going to read uh, just a little bit here. Tell an artist to paint anything, and he may struggle. But tell him to create something specific in a set amount of time for a certain audience. And these constraints might well push him p- to produce something he might never have come up with on his own. Does that kind of resonate with what we've just seen today?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Like in my mind, uh, especially when musicians are just starting out, the sound of a band is the sound of their limitations, right? Like what makes made the Pixies sound like the Pixies was like the, the, the limits to which they could play their instruments at the time that they started to become the Pixies. Uh, and um, it doesn't just apply in like broad settings like that. Uh, it, it, you can kind of bring it down right down into this sort of specific, um, if this specific project and, and what you're hearing is the sound and the thought process of those of those limitations uh, being imposed on um, writers of various kinds.
0: There's actually a quote that I really like. Um, Tom Waits, in an interview, was asked about some of his music, and I think this was later era Tom Waits, 80s, 90s, 2000s Tom Waits, and uh, you know, in, in a lot of his later works, he didn't really play the piano too much, and he was asked. Um, you know, what, what's the reason of this? Why are you just banging on a tub of pennies? And, uh, you know, he would say, well, if I play the piano, my, are, my hands are just going to play the same chords I always play because it's just so instinctive that even if I try to create new art, I'm just going to be lead, led into the things that I know. But if I'm putting in a new environment with restrictions that I'm not entirely familiar with, I create something better. And uh, that's a paraphrase, obviously. But that's also kind of what I think about all of these restrictions. When you put them on people, it's a lot more interesting.
1: I'd like to thank our guest, David Newberry, for joining us. Uh, Thank you, David. It was a pleasure to see you and have you here with us. Thank you very much. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, Sean Urker uh, for his insights, and uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for listening. Um, If you'd like to hear more and don't want to miss any episodes, please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform, and I'm going to leave the technical stuff for Mr. Sean Urker. uh,
0: In the future, we have a six-episode first season, along with six talkbacks for each episode, and we will be releasing... A, uh, a new uh, uh, episode every two weeks, alternating between the full episodes of the content and the talkback for each episode. Um, if you want to reach us, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram, and our handle is at Variations Pod. Uh, we have a Facebook page uh, for Streams and Variations, and you can email us at Streams and Variations Podcast at Gmail. Com. And I'd like to thank everybody
1: again. Uh, my name is Jimmy Johnson. I'm hosting this lovely program, and I hope to hear uh, have you all back again. Thank you. <laughs>